0: I'm so glad you're here as we continue our study in the Minor Prophets. I have a special shout out thank you to Dr. David Capes. I didn't see David here this morning. Ah, oh, and Kathy's here too. Hello, David and Kathy. Thank you so much, David. I got so many positive comments that I watched the entire class on the internet, and I was very blessed. Thank you for that. And I know Kathy writes this material, so we thank her as well. we will get the book of Zephaniah out, and unlike Dr. David Capes, who taught last week, I have absolutely zero to offer from hee-haw, uh, and with due respect to him thinking gloom, despair, and agony on me, which now he's getting knuckles from from, from Bill Young, who clearly is... A fan of Junior Samples. And so, um, I'm not about hee-haw this week. We're going to rise above that because I'm from Lubbock. And that is the cultural capital of the world. Now, we spell culture with a capital K. But <laughs> we would like to think instead this book may be about the thinker. Instead of gloom, despair, and agony on me. No, uh, uh, David got it right, and I'm just embarrassed that he thought of using that song before I did. I'm also very embarrassed if you watch the video. At one point when he's doing a Zoom, he pretends he's pushing on the screen. How have I been doing this for 30 years and never done that once? It's beyond me, but, uh, uh, it was, uh, it was, it was a very entertaining and yet informative lesson, and it frees me up. To finish Zephaniah today in a different kind of way. And so what I want to do today is pretty simple. I'm going to pull out some of my favorite passages from Zephaniah. And I want us to look at them together. Then I'm going to apply that passage to me. Even though Zephaniah was written over 2,500 years ago. And if I'm applying it to me, I'm hoping it might apply to you. And then, because I always do things in threes, the third thing we're going to do is wash, rinse, and repeat. So we're just going to keep doing that over and over and over. All right? So we're going to start with Zephaniah one, And David last week talked about some of this because he talked about the theophoric names. Theophoric means a name that carries a God name to it. Um, Azurbanipal, the... the uh, King of Assyria had a theophoric name. His name had the, the God of Asher at the beginning. So here we've got Zephaniah 1-1. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushy, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. Now, I got, by text, yesterday, this picture. That is Lydia. That is John Henry. And that is Abigail, I think. (laughs) Lydia and Abigail are identical twins. They are so identical that I had Lydia in my lap a couple of weeks ago FaceTiming Becky, who they call Bebe. And so she sees Bebe on there and then she sees the picture of her in the corner. Because that's the way FaceTime works, right? She goes, Bebe. And Lydia points at BB. Then she points at herself and she goes, Abigail. <laughs> she can't keep them straight. <laughs> so I could be wrong. But this same pictures that came in, came in with a picture of our daughter Gracie holding John Henry. And looky, looky, that is baby Zoe, who is due to be born within four weeks. Due to be born, but they've had her name for multiple, in fact, I'm not sure I'm supposed to even say her name, am I? Scratch that. There's a baby who knows what the name's going to be, but it will be deliberate and it will be carefully thought out. We are embargoing this class until that baby is born. But all things being equal, the baby's name's going to be Zoe, which comes from the Greek word for life, Zoe Elizabeth. And, And it's not something they just stumbled into. It's something they carefully thought out. I'm William Mark Lanier William is my dad's first name and so I was named after my dad but so that I wouldn't have confusion when someone called out my dad and wonder me him whatever they have always called me by my middle name Mark so I'm Mark to you and to others but my first name is after my dad and it was very carefully done um, our daughters have biblical names. Uh, our son has a biblical name as well. And so uh, it's, it's something where we correctly think through names. And we did not invent that in our lifetime. It's always been that way. And if you look at these names, you know, when you read the minor prophets, the prophets very often will say their name And they'll say who they're the son of. So, um, um, Zephaniah, Bain, Cushi. Ben is uh, the Hebrew word for son. The Aramaic word's bar. Simon bar Jonah. Simon son of Jonah. But Ben or Bain means son in Hebrew. And so you frequently do that. But they don't go back on and on and on like Zephaniah does. So this is an unusual start. It catches your eye. When you're reading the 12 minor prophets. And it, it begins. Devar I, The word of the Lord. That came to Zephaniah. That's a theophoric name. It's got the abbreviation. The Yod. And the He. It's got the abbreviation. Those are the first two letters. In the name of God. yod He, vav He. Or we don't really know how to pronounce it. And a good practicing Jew will not try to pronounce it. But that's the name of God. So it's written up here as I-A-H because you've got the I, the Y sound and the A sound and the H sound. And so that's just the name of God attached to Zephon. Zephon means to treasure something or to hide something. I think David referenced it as hide last week. Great way to reference it. God treasures something enough that he hides it. He holds it in. And that's the name of the prophet. Now he doesn't just give us his name and the name of his father. You would expect to read in any of this Zephaniah ben Cushi. But for him to add to it the son who his dad, who his granddad was. He's done that here. It is Gadalya. Gadalya, You recognize this? Those three letters go back up. It's the exact same. See? That is the abbreviation for the name of God. So he's got the name of God with Gadol is the Hebrew word for great. Big. So Yah means God is great. So you've got God treasuring and hiding within Zephaniah, holding Zephaniah close. Zephaniah, son of Cushi, his grandfather. God is great. And he's the son of Amar YAH uh, Amar YAH now look at this see the looks like a comma up above and it looks like a T down here that A sound and again the H sound here it's just like we've already seen that's the abbreviation of the name of God and so here you've got Amar YAH and some people will let's put it up there understand, this is God has spoken. Amar is from speaking. So, God has spoken. God is great. God treasures. Now, there's another Hebrew word for God, a general word for God. L, Like Ezekiel ends with that L. But these aren't just names, I mean, these aren't just words of God at the end of the name. Each one of these is the name of God used in the name. You say, what's the difference? Remember Moses in front of the burning bush. When God says, I want you to go get my people and set them free. Moses asked God, well, they're going to want to know who you are. Because the people have been for generations and generations in Egypt. And Egypt has truly thousands of gods. And God says, and he pronounces his name. It's translated generally, I am that I am, because the name of God seems to be from that verb to be. So God has spoken. That's Amariah. Who's the son of He's Kiyah? Well, oh, that's that's not a hey. it's a chate. He's Kiyah. So we've just pronounced him Hezekiah. Some scholars think the reason that Zephaniah has gone through all this lineage is because he's a descendant of the king, Hezekiah, who is a good king. We don't know. Hezekiah is a very general name. But regardless, we know whether it's the king or not, that means God strengthens me. God strengthens me. So the name of God is replete through here. You can't read this without knowing that can't read it in the hebrew without knowing that and it makes me pause because he wrote this 2500 years ago but god ensured this in holy scripture for you and me today and i don't think we should ever read past this without recognizing that we make a name for ourselves by how we live and our name can be one that brings glory and honor to God. Or it can be one that doesn't. It is my hope. It is my prayer. But more than that, it is a goal in my life. That when I deal with people, that they don't walk away from the dealing with me thinking that I'm anything less than genuine about God and my faith. I had a case one time where a fella, it was a case for a lawyer of ours, it was Edward Fudge's case. And Edward called me at home on a Friday night. And I'm sitting down to have dinner with Becky and the kids. And I take the call because I know Edward's going to trial Monday in a lawsuit. And he calls me and he says, "Hey," I said, hey, did you settle? He said, no, bad news. I said, what's the bad news? He says, the referring lawyer from Louisiana thinks you're going to try this case instead of me. I said, I'm not trying that case. He said, well, I know. That's what I told him. And I said, "Well, well, just tell him again. He says, well, you need to talk to him. And I said, what do you mean? He says, you just need to talk to him. So I said, give me his number. So I dial him. And he says to me, he says, you told me you would try it. And I said, I don't remember that now I might have I know that I might have but I didn't remember he says well I remember distinctly and he said so here's your chance to either show me you're a Christian or not do you keep your word I thought man play the religion card that's cold-blooded anyway yeah I I tried the case Um, I, you, you, you can bring glory and honor to God by how you live, or you can bring shame and disgrace. Pastor Jarrett and I have had this conversation more than once. We will never, ever put a Champion Forest Baptist Church bumper sticker on our car because of the way we drive. <laughs> we will never, ever have a fish on the side, back of our car. I am behind someone driving to church this morning, and they, I'm about to pass them. Because they're doing 35 in a 35. (laughs) And and as I'm about to pass them, I see this, in God I trust, bumper sticker. And I thought, great, they're going to church. I can't pass them. I don't put those bumper stickers on my car because I don't want to bring the Lord a bad name. But we need to think about that. This is just pragmatic, practical stuff, but we need to think about it. Zephaniah continues. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I'll sweep away man and beast. By the way, as we look at this, David did such a great job last week of pointing out it's 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 set in the reverse order of creation. God's just like dismantling creation here. Um, which, by the way, is a, I don't have time today, but it's a meta theme in this book. And Jesus references this book in so many ways because Jesus, this is a book about the day of the Lord which is, finds itself in Easter. not so, In Easter Sunday, yes, but also in Good Friday. The judgment day of the Lord is in full display on the cross of Christ. So Jesus is tuned into this because he is here for the day of the Lord, the day of judgment. And Jesus will reference this so many times because Jesus starts the new creation. But anyway, that's another day for another class. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I'll sweep away man and beast. I'll sweep away the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, and the rubble with the wicked. I'll cut off mankind from the face of the earth. I mean, this is this is a big deal. It's got a good poetic sound. They're actually two different Hebrew words, but they sound alike. And I was reading this, and you know what I thought of? I thought of fourth grade. Mom, in fourth grade, spring cleaning, you made Catherine and I clean the bathroom. And I think I may have thought of this because if you were not at the, the choral event Friday night, We had Michael Lloyd there speaking as well as the the men and boys choir from from, uh, Oxford. And Michael Lloyd said that his wife was the most gentle, kind person he'd ever met and she never raised her voice and she never got visibly angry with him and he's done some things that were justifiable for her to get angry. And he said all she would ever do is when he had done his worst and she was as fit as could be over it, she would just get off by herself and go clean the bathroom, wash the commode, or clean the commode. That was her therapy, he thought. And he asked her one time, Why, when you're so rightfully upset with me, do you not just explode? Why don't you do something other than just go clean the commode? She says, I'm satisfied with my way of handling my anger. He said, but you clean the commode. She said, with your toothbrush. (laughs) But I, I, I thought about that because mom was teaching us how to clean. And she came in and she said, I want you to get this as clean as possible. And I mean, I think it took Catherine and I all of five or ten minutes. And then she came in and she said, no, 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 no. Get down on your knees and look down here at the stuff behind the commode on the floor. I'm like, well, why would we clean that? She said, well, if we don't, who does? I thought, well, nobody sees it. She said, no, that's not the point. The point is, if you're going to clean, you need to utterly clean clean. I will utterly clean this up. God doesn't do a half adequate job of cleaning. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth. I and mean, that is um that's a very important thought that God is not about letting anything nasty, dirty, filthy, corroded in his presence now I told you that Zephaniah is a very important book in terms of the theology in a sense the prophetic fulfillment within Christ because in Christ you have the ultimate judgment of God for our sin for our evil for our perniciousness for all of that you have it there on full responsibility of Jesus and yet you then have a resurrected Jesus who gives us a new walk in life. And now God's at work in us. But this same concept Paul writes about to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians. He says in 2 Corinthians 3:18, "We all with unveiled face, so reference back to Moses, beholding the glory of the Lord, Moses beheld the glory of the Lord and had to wear a veil over his face because it shone so much. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We're being transformed into the image of Christ. God's not only sweeping out and getting rid of the nasties. He's taking us and transforming us into something of beauty. And that's an amazing thing. And that word image that I've got there. Icona in the Greek. That is the Greek word that's used for the Old Testament passage where God says let us make people in our image. God is interested in us not being the yucky junk. He wants us to be the good stuff. God wants to clean you and me up in ways we never dreamed. And he'll find those areas in your life. And if you're sitting out there saying, well, (laughs) I've already done all of that, he'll start working on your pride. He'll find those areas in your life because we've all got them. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. God, it, it, look, you'll know he's finished with you when you're before his presence in glory. All right, Zephaniah continues. I will cut off from this place those who bow down on the roofs to the host of the heavens. Those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom. Those who have turned back from following the Lord. Who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. I love the way David uh, uh, introed this passage last week as well. And so I don't need to repeat that. But I do want to ask you a very practical question. If you were going into some destination, And there were four doors in front of you. And you got to pick which door you wanted to go in. And one of the doors was marked flu. One of the doors was marked COVID. One of the doors was marked cancer. And one of the doors was marked good health. Which one are you going in? Do you need to think about it very long at all? I I, I I can answer that for me, like right now. I don't need to say anything more. I know which door I want to go in, and I know which door I want all of my family and friends and loved ones to go in. It's right over there. It's good health. And I say that because in a very real sense, this passage is giving the reader different doors. There are different roads we can choose in our life. Different ways we can make decisions. And so we've got this. And God says, he tells you what's on the other side of the door. The other side of the door is, I will cut off. I will cut off. By the way, I told you Zephaniah is a book that's rooted in the ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That the day of judgment that's talked about in this book is on full display in the crucifixion. Remember how Jesus is basically isolated? How the sky turns dark? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or Lama, to to what have you forsaken me? And the Aramaic. I will cut off from this place. Jesus has got everybody's sin on his shoulders. And God's going to cut it off. I will cut off from this place, one. Door number one. Those who bow down on the roofs to the hosts of heaven. So there were a lot of people that thought, and a lot of the ancient cultures thought, the Babylonians thought, that a lot of the stars that you see in the sky are actually gods, are heavenly beings, are heavenly hosts. I don't take that as far as some people do in terms of biblical concepts, but I have no doubt that that was the practice that is being indicted here by Zephaniah those who go up to the roof of their house and bow down to the hosts of the heavens they're worshiping the the stars the second door are those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom Milcom is an idol a foreign deity a pagan fake God and there were some people who would worship the Lord and by the way, this is all capitals, which is, tells us that the Hebrew is using the name of God. And they are. If you remember, you've got that thing that looks like a comma, and you've got the little, uh, it's almost like an, I don't know, it's the Hebrew letter Hey. I don't know what you think that looks like, but whatever it is, it's there. And it doesn't have the little A underneath it because it's the name of God and they they didn't put it there. But that is what we have here. People are bowing down to the God of Moses, the God of Israel, the true God. But they're also bowing down to the fake gods. God says, I'll cut them off. I'm going to cut them off. That's door number two. Door number three. Those who've turned back from following the Lord. These are the ones who don't seek the Lord. They don't inquire of Him. They're freelancing life, they're living it on their own. Living it based on what they can do, who they are, what they have. God says, I'm cutting them off. Now, you want to pick a door, pick a door. You say, well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't do those things. I haven't been on my roof in a long time. The concept, though, of worshiping something other than God, I know a lot of people who worship popularity. I know a lot of people who worship money. I know a lot of people who worship power. I know a lot of people who worship comfort i know a lot of people who will give their eye teeth for these things because they hold them of such great value that's door number one it ain't leading anywhere good or how about bow down to yahweh but also bow down to milcom that's someone who's religious enough not to have fun in the world, but worldly enough to not enjoy religion. These are people who try to find direction in and, and life and, and they know they need help, but they seek help from all sorts of different places. These are people who are looking to God, but also looking to a lot of other sources. If you've got the God of the universe who created the heavens and the earth, you don't need to read your horoscope. If you've got godly counsel from your friends, you don't need to ask the ungodly what they think you ought to do. God plus, that door is a door of bad, cut off. How about the people who ignore God? you say, do you ignore God? Well, I don't ignore God. I'm in church. You're watching this. But there are times in our lives, if we're being honest, where we live on either remote control or where we live based upon this concept that we've got it figured out. That we're right, that we know it all, that we've got the resources, that we can rely upon ourselves. And what God is saying is you want to rely on yourself for life? You want to ignore God and not seek His counsel and His input? That's fine, but that road, it's cut off. It leads nowhere good. Your good health is found when we embrace and seek God in what we do so that's what I want to do I want to focus and pursue the right door in my life all right Zephaniah continues be silent before the Lord God for the day of the Lord is near are you familiar with the word etymology it's the study of where words come from So one time when I was translating this passage out of the Hebrew, I thought, I'm going to do a word study. I'm going to figure out where our English word hush comes from. Y'all know hush, right? Hush. Lorraine says it to Castell all the time. Hush. Hush. You want to know where it comes from? We don't have a clue we know it goes back to at least the 1600s and the best scholastic information seems to be it's a quick and kind of quiet way to make a sound that makes you think you should be quiet hush 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 or we abbreviate it now shh 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 okay I just found that interesting all right go back to the Hebrew here be silent before the Lord God. Do you know what the Hebrew is for be silent? It's right over here. Hush. Hush. A little bit more of an ah sound than an ooh sound, but it's hush. Hush. Same thing. Hush. You could translate this, hush. And people would get the meaning. Hush. Before God. And I thought that was really notable, but that's not the big noteworthiness of the passage. You could live fine today without knowing the Hebrew hus. I mean, it'll help you now. You know, I'm sure at lunch when I'm talking too much, Becky's going to start using Hebrew with me. No, she wouldn't do that. But hus, here's what's interesting to me in the passage. It's this Hebrew word over here, key. That's the k e sound. Key. Key. means kind of basically because. It's the reason we should hush in this passage. Because the day of the Lord is near. Now what makes you silent? Just thinking this through. Some people go silent because they're trying to hide. Well, God's not saying be silent because you need to hide. I mean, he knows where we are. He knows who we are. The books addressed to his people. This is the word of the Lord coming to Zephaniah for us. So it's not be silent and go into hiding from God. That's not what it is. Sometimes we're silent because we're in awe. Sometimes, you, you know the expression, I'm speechless. You're just at a loss for words. You, 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 there's, you're in awe. And that may be part of what's involved here with the day of the Lord that's coming near. Or how about this? When you go to a basketball game and your team, not the opposing team, your team's attempting a free throw, the whole place gets dead silent because you want to, you know, first of all you're on the edge of your seat and second of all you want to be quiet so that the concentration won't mess up the, the free throw shooter. That's what's going on here. It's some combination of those things. But it's the idea that the day of the Lord is near. And so there's a time where you need to be really quiet. And you need to watch. You need to be in awe. You could translate this, hush. Listen to God. Because God's at work. And you'd get some of the meaning behind the passage. You wouldn't get the full passage. But that's what he, they're being told. Shh. God's at work. Pay attention. Listen. This is not your time to talk. This is your time to listen. We were talking this morning, telling stories about a young man. Um, we'll just call him Jack who's sitting right over there <laughs> and his mother told about when he was three or so and she would try to put him in time out and he did not appreciate time out and she would set a little buzzer and she had she was under the parenting idea at the time that you put them in timeout for how old they are which is not not a bad i've been thinking about it ever since i heard that so you know i'm pretty stoked i'm 62 and i want becky to put me in timeout for 62 minutes because there's a lot i can get done but he was three he goes in timeout she's got him a chair it's in the laundry room and she's got a buzzer that's gonna ding at three minutes now he's supposed to be thinking about what he did wrong he's not at all he's just waiting for the ding And he's standing there looking at the buzzer going, ding, ding, ding. Because he's trying to get it to ding faster. You know, there's a time for activity. There's a time for us to do. There's a time for, but there's also a time, just be quiet. You just listen until God's through talking. Because God's at work. That's a great passage. All right, he continues. i got to pick this speed up a little. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Anybody like to cook? I love to bake bread. I mean, I enjoy baking bread. I love to eat baked bread. And... uh i got to tell you, Rose Berenbaum's book, The Bread Bible, is like the best. Because it's not just good recipes. It's a how-to book. It tells you how to make the bread in great detail. tells you why you do what you do. And anybody can read that book, and if they've got the right tools, they can bake bread. And it will taste so good that I'll be at your door real soon go back because what zephaniah is doing here is he's giving us a recipe but he's telling us how to do it seek the lord all you humble of the land this idea seek the lord all you humble of the land who do his just commands. seek righteousness seek humility Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Now I told you Jesus is tuned into Zephaniah, I believe. Uh, I, he's tuned into the Bible, okay? <laughs> but Zephaniah was in his frame of reference in a lot of ways that we miss because of, we just don't patch it together. But I want you to look here. The umble, Ana, the umble of the land. That word on not also can be translated meek. The meek of the land. The, well, here it's a different form because of the way it's written, but it says anve uh, ha of the land. Humble of the land. These are people who do God's just commands. They're humble enough to recognize the way of the Lord is the right way. He says, seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the Lord. Does any of that ring any kind of bell with you? With the teachings of Jesus? If I tell you that word can be translated, anah can be translated as meek. Does it ring any bells? Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth blessed are the meek you're told in Zephaniah to seek humility blessed are the meek they shall inherit the earth blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness Zephaniah says seek righteousness for they shall be satisfied If you were to read this instead of the Greek New Testament, if you were to read this in a Hebrew New Testament, you'd see the words more clearly because they're the same words. This is a concept that we need to see within Zephaniah, but we need to see it finished within the teaching. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. That's anah. That's the same Hebrew word. It's just got a plural ending at the end. Blessed are the meek, because they're going to inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Go back to the Zephaniah. All you meek of the land, you'll possess the land. Those who are doing his just commands. Seek that righteousness, you'll be satisfied. Seek humility. Seek those things because they will change your life. As Jesus said, they will make you joyful, happy, blessed. The recipe for happiness in this life, at, at its root, has seek humility. Seek righteousness at its root. Well, I'm miserable. Okay, seek humility, seek righteousness. Righteousness. I'm not saying that's the only part of it, but that's part of it. Okay, i got to tell you another story. I was in a taxi cab in London. And taxi cab drivers in London, to me, I just like to hear them talk because they have this British accent. And um, they all seem to, not all, but most seem to love British football soccer and British Premier League football in particular because everybody's got a team and you find out who their team is Um, I asked the little boys in the boys choir that sang for us that came over from Oxford Friday night they had while the men in the choir were doing sound check the boys were out in the field playing English football soccer And so I said to him, I said, who's your favorite team? And and this boy, who could not have been more than six or seven years old, said, the Tottenham Spurs. And I said, really? He says, I've shaped my life around them. (laughs) I thought, how delightful. When I was six, I think I had shaped my life around Pop Tarts. But um, I asked a taxi driver, I said, so who do you root for? Who's your team? And his comment was, I root for two teams every game day. I said, who are they? He said, I root for the Tottenham Hotspurs. He said, and I root for whoever is playing Arsenal. And I laughed because growing up in Lubbock, we would root for Texas Tech every game day. And we would also root for whoever's playing Texas. Because we wanted Texas to lose. He wants arsenal to lose. That's OK. But Zephaniah 2:10 through 11, draws an interesting line on this. Zephaniah, as, as David pointed out last week, these, there are some judgments for the, the nations surrounding Judah. And this is one where he's picked out Philistia, he's picked out Edom, he's picked out our, uh, Moab. Right above these verses that I've got up here. And, he, and God says, this shall be their lot in return for their pride. Because they've taunted and boasted against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be awesome against them. The word awesome translated there is from the Yorah, the Hebrew word for fear, against them. I'm, God says, I'm going after them. Because they have gone after, or not even gone after, they've laughed and loved the fact that my people have been uh, smitten. You say, well, of course they did. You know that. You know that shouldn't be a. No, 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 no. Understand, God's people deserve to be smitten. God's people were not walking holy. The smiting was actually coming from God, but God did not like the foreign nations reveling in it. I mean, there's a, there's a message here. It's okay to root against teams, but we root for people. Said, so, well, I'm rooting for the people I like. No, that's not the way of it. Look, anybody can do that. Anybody can root for someone that they like. But we're called to root for people, for the best for people. You know, in, in my circle of life, I, I love to be a successful trial lawyer, and if some other lawyer who's one of my competitors is successful, I'm not supposed to think, "Ooh, I wanted him to go down. I I want the best for them in their life. I need to be the kind of person who's always seeking what's best for everybody, not just my friends. Does this ring a bell? Same Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do we understand that that's contrary to human nature as a fallen human? But that is the image of God in Christ that we're being transformed into? All right, I can't leave this without bringing up the word hubris. Do you? Some are obviously very familiar with the word. For some people, it may be a different word that you don't use a lot. Hubris is excessive pride. Excessive self-confidence, arrogance, haughtiness, hubris. Hubris is not left untouched by Zephaniah. Look at this passage out of Zephaniah 2.15. This is the exultant city that lived securely. Talking about Jerusalem, but it's not talking about Jerusalem. It's talking about the people. It's not the buildings Lived securely. Buildings don't live secure. That said in her heart, buildings aren't talking in their heart. It's talking about the citizens. It's just calling them the city. That said in her heart, I am and there is no one else. What a desolation she's become. A lair for wild beasts. Everyone who passes by her hisses and shakes his fist. hubris now these are this is a scene last week if you were here there's david capes he's got a good map up here he's got the ammonites he's got the philistines he's got the moabites and he's talking about all these are the people who are loving the fact that god's people are biting it And God writes this message. Do you think God's writing this message for the Philistines and the Ammonites and Moabites? No. The prophets in Judah delivering the message. He doesn't put it on the internet, he doesn't buy television time, he doesn't po- post it in the Philistine daily. He's giving this to God's people even though he's speaking out against these other countries. Why? I can think of at least two reasons. Number one, he wants God's people to understand that he is the God all over the place. He is the God of everything. You want me to tell you a secret? God is greater than your worst problem. There's no area where he doesn't touch and where his reach doesn't grab. But it's more than just that. God's also telling his people, avoid the hubris of the pagans. Hubris is not a good look on anyone. Ah, We're out of time. Okay, here's, and and yes, Dale, points for home have been incorporated throughout all of this. Um, What's your life verse? I get asked that a lot and Janet's made fun of me before because my favorite verse of the Bible changes every day and it does today this is my life verse woe to her who's rebellious and defiled the oppressing city she listens to no voice she accepts no correction she doesn't trust in the Lord she doesn't draw near to her God those are all bad things I mean, this is a wonderful instruction manual. Don't think the oppressed city again is talking about the city. He's talking about people here. That's not the city, even though ear means city. But being rebellious, that's people. Not listening to the voice of God, not accepting correction, not trusting in the Lord, not drawing near to God. I got my homework. This is my homework. This is what I'm going to work on right now. I'm going to work on not being rebellious to God. Instead, I'm going to work on listening to him. I'm going to try and learn to accept correction. I'm going to try to trust him more. And I'm going to work to draw nearer to him. Because that's the point for home. So, with that, let me bless you in the name of Jesus. We've got class again next week. And then, uh, is that right? Is it next? Yeah, because Easter's two weeks. And then we'll have the Good Friday service. Uh, be praying for my video thoughts for the day this week because I will be talking about Pesach and hope to have a good broad audience. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask your blessings on all who hear this message. Father, continue to transform us into the image of what we can be in you. We, we want to grow in you. We want to draw near to you. We want to hear from you. We want to accept the correction that even your Holy Spirit works in our hearts as we listen to this. And we thank you for loving and caring for us as much as you do. We pray all these things in your holy name. Amen.